We can't because we haven't done what we do every single week, which is share our mission statement. So if everyone could just stand up real quick. NBC, what is your mission? To be a community of Christ followers who are committed to being real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. Now have a seat. Now here's the thing. That is our discipleship strategy. But it's one of those things that we could take all of those things, the real with God, real with each other, and real in the world, and we could identify that that we could take individual steps for each one of those things to be disciples. But that's not how our mission statement rolls. Our mission statement assumes that these things are taking place on an individual basis, but if you look at the beginning of our mission statement, it starts off with that line right there. We are a community. Everything that follows comes from that vantage point, that we are making these decisions as a community, that as much as each one of those has individual steps, and we're going to talk about those during the series between this month and next, that the actual like big thing that we're talking about with Better Together is the fact that this starts with the fact that God has called a people who gather into a community, that we are a community of Christ followers, and each one of those, real with God, real with each other, and real in the world, those are the three most vital relationships a person has. The ones that, that we are, that demand that we be authentic with. The relationship with God, the, the relationship with other Christians, and the relationship with every other person we interact with throughout our life. Real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. And so this week, we're going to start with the first part of that. And as a community, and if you've ever wondered, as far as like the, the uh, NBC logo, what that's all about, some people have wondered, is it the Trinity? Is it, you know, wh- what is it? Um, it's really the, our mission statement, real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. And the, and the first community step, as far as corporately, how we authentically d- interact with God, is making a decision to weekly gather, that we gather in here on a weekly basis, and that we, we worship God corporately as a big old church family made up of a bunch of different people who don't look like you, sing like you, vote like you, and they gather all together to worship this one true God and be authentic with Him. But if we are a community of Christ followers taking that step, we have to ask the question and be honest about it. Why in the world do we go to church anyway? I mean, seriously, why? Why? You had to ask this question this morning. It's a holiday weekend, right? We get church off, right? Martin Luther King, I mean, wouldn't he want us to skip church on this weekend, right? How better to honor him than that? Or is there something deeper than that? The honest answer is the reason that we go to church has a whole lot to do with the very earliest church. If you have your Bibles or if you have the NBC app, go to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you want to know why we do what we do on a weekend basis, that's one of the best places to go and take a look. And just for context, while you're turning there or you're opening up your phone uh, to get there, What's happening before Acts 2 is that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has died on the cross for our sins, and he's risen from the grave, okay? And then after rising from the grave, he tells his disciples that he's going to be going back to the Heavenly Father, the first person of the Trinity, but that he is going to leave the church with the third person of the Trinity, someone just like him, someone who is God, who is going to be our encourager, our enabler, our discipliner, our convictor, someone who's going to energize the mission of the church, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to permanently indwell anyone who's put their trust in the risen Christ, 
All of a sudden, the next scene is Peter talking to this massive bunch of people who were massive skeptics of Jesus. And he tells them, you know what? You guys have crucified Jesus. He is God. He came as your Messiah, and you crucified him. But that's not the end of the story, because the hope even extends to you. And right before this passage, it says that over 3,000 people, maybe just 3,000 men, not counting the women and the children, put their trust in Jesus and then were baptized and start this gathering, this 3,000 plus person gathering of people who put their trust not in the religious system, not in their synagogue, not in their country, but in the risen Christ. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. Let's go ahead and read that together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, like the 3,000 plus people, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in uh, in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amazing. Now, anyone who studies this passage gets tripped up by a word right in the beginning of verse 42, which is this word right here. It's the word koinonia. Um, and it's, it's the word that's translated into the word fellowship. But I got to be honest, as the church, especially if, if you grew up in a Baptist church like me, um, and NBC is kind of a Baptistic vibe, uh, we have just ruined the word fellowship. Because what does fellowship mean? Food, exactly. Someone said, <laughs> I mean, basically, for growing up in church, like fellowship meant that there was this room in the church. Let's call it the fellowship hall. And in the fellowship hall, that's where you're going to go and you're going to get together with Christians, and, and basically take steps towards diabetes. That's what happened in the fellowship hall. It's like, you know, we could be completely, completely, completely critical of anyone who smokes and does terrible things to their body, but gluttony in the Lord's name was awesome in the fellowship hall. And so food was all, and I love food. I love food, but that's not fellowship. Koinonia was unpar- an unparalleled dynamic defined by a unified life, purpose, and goal within a group. This was not a fad. This was not a trend that this early church was all about. This, this was not like people who eat kale and think they're going to do that forever. Or people who start to be like Cubs fans at the end of 2016. This was more than that. This was something that was deep and sincere. And what it revolved around was this. According to this passage, it revolved around the fact that they studied the apostles' teachings about Jesus. After Jesus rises from the grave and reveals who he is to the disciples, or even before that, he goes through and he teaches them how the whole Old Testament is pointing to him. Things that they knew because they they knew it growing up as, as Jewish kids, all of a sudden Jesus is saying, and that was pointing to me, and that was pointing to me, and that was pointing to me. And so when they're gathering, they're, going, they're pouring over the Old Testament scriptures saying, look, there it is too. And then do you remember when Jesus did this and they started connecting what took place in the Old Testament with what took place in Jesus' life and we're seeing time and time again this mind-blowing reality of he really was the one and he still is. And so they were unified around that. They were unified around the fact that they were taking community like he called them to. They were praying together. They were experiencing miracles performed by the apostles. They were sharing their resources with one another. 
and they were expressing gratitude to God. And as awesome as that is for the first century church, we have a big problem with all of that in 2017. And the big problem with all of that in 2017 is this. We can do a majority of these things and never see another Christian. We could do a majority of these things and actually not have to even show up anywhere. I mean, truth be told, we have to answer the question of why do we go to church anyway? Let me tell you why. Before we even get to that, the reason that we, or the question comes up because of the fact that you're listening to a sermon where if you just in a few moments cough and pretend like you have to go to the bathroom or something, go out there, pull out your phone, you're going to be able to YouTube a better sermon on Acts 2 than I'm about to give you by a more skilled pastor with more dynamic like, ways to communicate. You could do that. Your feet away from a better sermon, guys. Feet. All of you came in here, and not a single one of you said, okay, my playlist for today's worship set is. No, everyone in here was a hostage to Garcia. <laughs> Whatever he wanted to sing, we just had to do it. And the most we could do to boycott was just to, to be quiet. That's it. We had no choice in the matter. We basically took all, all the control was seated away as soon as we walked through the door. So you're hearing a, a song set you didn't select. You're listening to a subpar message. And you do this? Why in the world do you do this week after week? Why? Frank, Frank has got an awesome shirt. Frank, could you stand up? Frank, he came to church with this shirt, and I love it. It says, I'd rather be outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Frank. We would too. So why do we do it? And again, it comes back to the beginning. The beginning is why we do this, because God is great. God is not a good God. He's not an okay God. He is an awesome God who shares his throne with no one else. And what this God from the very beginning calls creation to do is to worship him, that we are created for him, but not just for him. And this is the weird thing about God. He did not just create us for a relationship with him. He created us for a relationship with one another where together we can worship him. He, because our great God designed us, he hardwired into us that we are better together. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. As we go from the very beginning in Genesis, God does not create one person who when they die, they, they're traded out for a new model and person. He created people that actually had the capacity within science and DNA and biology to multiply. Why? Because God is a huge fan of community. He created his creation, his image bearers, to worship him and to gather and worship him together. In Genesis 12, he has Abraham. And he says to Abraham, you are going to be a people. Your gathering of people are going to be my people. And throughout the Old Testament, you see God fighting for this people and protecting this people and disciplining this people. Why? Because he wanted to protect that group of people who gathered to worship him, to call on his name, regardless of what the society was doing around, that they were going to be surrendered to him. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, right before they go into the promised land, they gather together. What are they gathering together to do? To read over their scriptures and to be reminded what unifies them. And the interesting thing about Deuteronomy 12 is is this. He says, now here's the deal. This is not just for the men. Even though everything in our society says that the only people who should be interested in spirituality are the men, this is for the men and the women. But it's not just for the men and the women. It's not just for the grown-ups. This is for the children. 
The children need to be a part of this gathering where they can be exposed to this reality of who God is. And it's not just for the Hebrew men, women, and children. Anyone who is in a a social, ethnic class outside of yours, all the foreigners in your land are supposed to be a part of this too so they too can understand how great this God is, that they can know what his law is, that they could respond to him accordingly. Same thing happens in Nehemiah 8 when they come back to the land. They read over scriptures and they are brokenhearted at what they had forgotten because they had not been centralized on who God was in his word gathering together. And all the priests go, don't, don't be brokenhearted. This is celebration. We're back. We are a community. We're a community of followers of God who are going to commit ourselves to the call that he's put upon our lives. Even when they were wandering in the desert, you could see how God wants to orchestrate and strategically design his community where he is at the center In the center of the wandering uh, group of Hebrews, they have the tabernacle, a reminder that all of their neighborhoods was built around him at the center. That regardless, again, of what anyone else puts at the center of their community or their society, that for them, that gathering of knowing where God was, they could interact with God, that God cared for them, was at the epicenter. And then you get into the New Testament, and we get to Acts 2, and the church starts to explode. And you have this cynic named Paul who's totally skeptical about, about this Jesus, but then he, he gets won over by the evidence and the fact that he interacts with Christ himself. And he's blown away. And as he's watching this, this funky movement called the church move out, he reminds them of something. This God that was so intent on being the center of his people that he wanted to let them know how important they were. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, Now you, you, are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I don't care what your, your teacher told you growing up, or your parent, if they, or a friend who said that you've got no skill, or not, no hope, or future, or whatever. You need to know that God looks at you and says, you are imperative. You're, if you are outside of the gathering of the community of Christ, that community is suffering because you are like a hand, or an eye, or a nose, or a mouth, that, that without you, Because God has chosen to utilize his skills inside of you. Without you, there's something missing. And every group of people, um, we all get flaky. Every one of us has a flaky nature. No matter how committed you are or disciplined you are, all of us end up being flaky. And so you have the author of Hebrews reminding us how this is a command of God. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. This koinonia, this unified life, purpose, and goal within that group happened, and it continued to happen. And it defied all sociological expectation of how this church should have died out, but it didn't. We're here 2,000 years later in Manuka, Illinois, worshiping the same Christ, sitting next to people that we didn't come in here with, Worship a God who loves and reaches out to the lost. Now, that sounds great in theory. But let's be honest, we're busy people, right? Church can be tough. And on top of the fact that getting to church is tough, we have the reality of the fact that church can sometimes be a marred picture of who God is. How many of you in here have been disappointed by a church or a Christian you knew who represented Christ? How many of you have been disappointed by, okay, all of us have. 
I have. If you haven't been disappointed by a Christian, start hanging out with them. (laughs) If you haven't been disappointed at Manuka Bible Church, you need to be more faithful in your attendance because we will do that for you. We will afford it in spades. The truth is, is that all of us have these reasons for like pushing back against this gathering. And so, socially, there's this, this, this thing that has emerged from the 60s and 70s, which was the concept that we are entities in it of ourselves. We are the arbiters of truth. That honestly, we are, we're at a point where we can gr- have so much information all to ourselves, And on all of us, if you're carrying your phone, have the capacity to carry volumes of books and insights and messages and, and music we can connect with whatever we want, whether it's God or anyone else. We really, why do we need this? And, and again, on top of that, we've been really disappointed by people. You may have said this line, and if you haven't said what I'm about to put up on this screen, you know someone who has, but a lot of us have said this at one point or another, that I believe in God. I'm just not into organized religion. I, I just, I believe in God. I think I love the idea of Jesus. I'm just, seriously, I'm not into this organized religion. Why? Because it feels man-made and it feels like, well, these people are messed up. They, 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 they sin just as much as anyone else. They're hypocrites. Yeah, they are. It's true. But as one person put it, I, I, thought, I think this is so genius. Um, as bad as organized religion is, the only thing worse than organized religion is disorganized religion. The only thing more ineffective and inefficient than organized religion is trying to go it alone, just you and God. Why? Because God didn't design you for that. So for 2,000 years, we as a people have said, have made the statement that because Jesus is so great, we gather. Not because the music is awesome. Not because the sermon is better than we're going to find someplace else. Not because the people never disappoint us. But because Jesus is so great. He is so great. And he's called each one of us to worship him in, in, in community. Because Christ has called us into the community of faith, we gather And then thirdly, because the kingdom work that Christ wants to accomplish through us is so imperative, we gather. We gather. We are, in fact, better together by design. So as your pastor, I I need to leave you with two challenges. Um, My job and my privilege is to go through Scripture, and where it encourages, I want to encourage you with it, and where it challenges and kicks us in the teeth, I want to be honest about those too. This is one that I think is both for us as a people in 2017, that we are a people that that can honestly look and say, we want to follow God's lead to the fullest, but culturally speaking, man, it's going uphill. See, Philippians 2 says that it's God who wills and acts according to his good purpose in you, meaning that every single person here, if you're a Christian, God has embedded inside of you a purpose that he wants you to accomplish. But if scripture is accurate, you cannot accomplish that to its fullest in isolation. You can know a lot about God, but you can't know a whole lot about his ultimate purpose for you in isolation outside of that discipline and that experience of gathering together with God's people. This is a church, is a collective training ground for what God wants to accomplish in you to the world. And so, in stepping into our first part of our community and our mission statement, the real with God part, I want to challenge you individually with two, with two challenges. And the first one is I want to call you in. I want to call you in. Basically, I want you to take a bold step into faithfully participating in a weekend service when you can bring your experience, your mind, and your voice 
into the weekly gathering of Christ's followers to glorify God, to be the people who gather because of the fact that God really, really values this community. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. And that's, that's talking about like even confronting people, but it's true that God has got things significant. Jeff, I need your chair. If you guys could just scoot over. Thank you. Jeff chooses this chair just about every single week, don't you? And honestly, a lot of you, if I closed my eyes, if, if I had to give a criminal sketch of where people sat <laughs> at church, I could do it just about every week for some of you guys. But this chair right here, this is Jeff's chair. <laughs> Jeff chooses this chair just about every single week. He leaves the comfort of his lazy boy at home, and he comes to Monica Bible Church to sit on a chair that, though it's more comfortable than a metal folding chair, honestly, it's not all that comfortable, and it's kind of ugly but he sits in it. He leaves someplace to be here. And this is actually the first prong, the first part of the challenge. I want to challenge you to faithfully, I want to call you in, that you make this something where this is a weekly thing where you get a chance to come and be a part of the gathering of God's people. Now that's tough because again, we're, we're crazy busy, aren't we? And for some of you, um, coming from a tradition where, like, if you had a family member before you were a Christian that went to church, like, more than six times a year, they were a religious fanatic, right? And so the idea of being at church on a weekly basis seems a little, I don't know, a little much. But I want to challenge you with the fact that things, anything in life that we do consistently and faithfully, we get better at. We get better at it. And I really do believe the thing that God has called us into, we will accomplish that much more if we are faithful, if we're here. Now, if you're someone who's got a small child, okay, or a baby, it's crazy hard to get to church, isn't it? I mean, it's like a battlefield, just getting people in the minivan. And then you try to get them into nursery or into echo, and it's just like, it's, it's, sometimes it's really tough. My family has personally caused nursery workers to quit. <laughs> when they saw my family coming, they're like, hide, hide, hide. Ryland, totally, like two or three. I mean, people who come up to me today and say, yeah, we, we stopped working in the nursery when your son was there six years ago. It's tough, but, but parents of small children and single moms out there, you sit on the shoulders of 2,000 years of people who have been doing this. You can do it, and we're here with you. If this isn't, um, you're, you're, if you're not consistently weekly being here, I want to challenge you to go from a one in six weeks or a one in three weeks to being here faithfully, and all of a sudden you start to realize, I, I'm starting to recognize people more. I'm starting to recognize this family, which is a big family. It's a weird family, but it's, it's something that God has called me into a little bit more, bit by bit. I want my children to stand next to your children and learn about God and Echo and Adventure Outposts and in here. One day, your kids are going to be out of the house. And what example are they going to have as far as their outlook on church? Do you think it's going to be easier for them to attend or more difficult to attend in the future? My guess is it's going to, no matter how faithful you are, it's going to be more difficult. We need to pass on to them the picture of why this is a value because God is so great and he's called us into community. We're better together. And then, um, as far as like online streaming, and we have people right now who are online streaming, and we have people actually um, in the Middle East that are, are watching this right now, and people, we have uh, Josh DeGraff is on Austra in Australia, and this 
online streaming has been a lifeline for him because he's been able to stay connected to NBC even though he's distant. And so for all of our online streamers that are watching right now, we are so grateful that you're here. But I want to encourage everyone as far as online streaming to know that it, just like anything else, that it could be an awesome tool. It can also be a hindrance to that thing that God has called us into, which is community. I want you to think about online streaming um, like a spare tire. How many have ever like uh, had a flat and you had to put on a donut on your car? Okay. How, how, what's, what's, what is it like, where are you supposed to, how, what's the, the maximum that you should be driving on a donut before you get it changed? 50, 40, I heard 60 first service ish in there. Okay. Now there's some people who are like, ah, I mean, maybe it's like 40, 60 days, you know, and <laughs> what happens to your car when you don't, when you use a donut for that long? All of a sudden your alignment starts to go. And the rest of the vehicle is just, it, it, and that tire, it just wasn't designed to have the tread and the, the, the girth or anything else to actually take you where you need to go for the long haul. It's great in a pinch, in an emergency, but if you make that your, your long-term solution for your wheel, your whole vehicle is going to suffer as a result of it. Same thing with online streaming. Um, the thing that's intended to, when you're out of town, when you're sick, when you're working, to stay connected with what God's doing here and to worship alongside it. That very gift and resource can turn into a hindrance for community. And your life will showcase that because you're going to find yourself more and more distant to God's people. And I believe more and more distant to what God has called you into. So as we are taking steps, let's all make sure that we're taking that first step. And for you, you may already be doing this. Again, Jeff is because I took his chair. I know exactly where he's sitting. But it's not stopping here. Not only do I want to call you in, I actually also want to call you out. And, and not confrontationally, but, but literally, I want to call you out. Jesus, after he rose from the grave, he, he talks to his disciples and he says, uh, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he goes on from there explaining what that means. See, this is a step as a community that we're taking a step as a disciple. If I want to be a disciple, I want to be someone who's gathering with God's people on a faithful basis. That, that's what I want to do. And again, if you're like a one in eight, take a step closer to, to, the, to being here on a faithful weekly basis. But that, that's a step that you can take. If you've taken that, great. But that's being a disciple. Jesus didn't call us just to be disciples, did he? No. He called us not only to be disciples, but actually to be people who are disciple makers. So this is the great news at Manuka Bible Church. We made more ugly gray chairs. And what I want to encourage you to do is this. If you're someone who's experiencing the good news of Christ proclaimed in song and sermon, that's something that, that is engaging you in your faith. Grow in that as a disciple. But if you want to be a disciple maker, like Jesus called us to, then you consider, who in my world doesn't know about Jesus? Who do I work with or live with or go to school with? Who is on the outside looking in? Many of you in here would not be here if it wasn't for one bold person who decided to talk to you. Maybe it was your spouse or a sibling or a parent, a coworker, but something happened where they went from this to sharing with you. I don't want to challenge you as a church. Let's never be satisfied with just being a disciple. Let's be satisfied with following God's lead to be disciples who are making disciples, who are taking the steps that we're taking to engage with God. If this person doesn't know about Jesus, man, you're the first, you're the front line. But maybe you know someone who is a Christian, they're a follower of Jesus, but they're disconnected from a community. 
And if they live somewhere else, help them find a church where they live. And if they live in this area, help them find here. And if they hate NBC because they're like, oh my gosh, those sermons are so, uh, and the music is, eh, and the people are, eh. Help them find someplace else and, and maybe attend that church with them on the first time to get them plugged in. We, we want to see people who are growing followers of Jesus and living that out experientially. Bridge the gap and invite them to hear that. Christ called us on the inside to go out. Who in your world is out of community of Christ followers? Bridge the gap and invite them to hear about this great God. And I want to tell you that next week, would be a perfect week to do that. We've got baptisms, and we're talking about the fact that what happens at church that happens nowhere else on planet Earth? Because there's lots of stuff you can get anywhere else, but what happens at church that happens nowhere else on planet Earth that all of us need and crave that God has provided for us in that? That early church, the impact of that early church extended beyond the Eastern Hemisphere into even the Western Hemisphere. Today, 50,000 people a day are coming to know Jesus globally. The church is growing. And it's amazing to see what God is doing globally. But I, I think it's phenomenal that God in his sovereignty decided to have you grow up in the Western Hemisphere, to be born in the United States of America, in this land of Lincoln, Illinois. In Grundy County, you decided to worship at a place called Manuka Bible Church. This church that if you go out to the cornerstone out on the front side of the red room, which is that first building there on the bottom, has a cornerstone that says established in 1979. The building was built in 1984. And then it has this paraphrase of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. This is a church where people have come to know Jesus for the very first time. People whose marriages have been healed people whose lives have, have seen God's vision for them and has, have taken steps in it. Trees were planted as little baby trees that now um, offer shade for children as they're hearing the gospel at Spy Kids summer after summer. A parking lot that was paved and extended so that people could come here and be able to have access to gather together, to be this epicenter of worshiping God and a place where we could individually and collectively go back into the world. A hospital of a bunch of healed lepers they get to go and get the medicine and then bring it back to their homes and their workplaces as they worship the one, the only one who could heal them. That though they could operate in isolation, they simply are better together. Church, my hope is that you are an individual that as a result of this series, you bring more glory to God because you get to know his love for you that much more and how amazing he is, that you understand why we're here as a church and where you fit into this group, that even though we're diverse and we're different, we're from different walks of life, we are in fact better together. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you absolutely focus us and energize us with your mission and your plan. Lord, help us realize that the church is your body. And even though we are, are poor at best representatives from time to time, God, you do amazing things in the gathering of the faithful. Lord, I pray that you help each one of us step into that with boldness and passion and that it's not just us, but that we actually are finding those on the outside who are engaging with that reality as well, giving you glory, finding their life transformed by you, and we will give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. See you next week. God bless.